The biggest thing you gave me was time. I've always been a proponent of do the job, do it well. When you're a family, everyone in the family has to be treated with respect. Coach Wooden, it always started with uh, relationships. It always started with coaching people's hearts. I want to know who you really are, right? You can put whatever you want on paper, but that that doesn't really matter. His teachers, they meet the learner wherever he is. They don't care what you know. <laughs> they won't. Until they know how much you care. Excited to have have Delana Jordan on and and excited to hear from you. We don't use words like episode and because that's like, hey, that's it's just an actual conversation. Like that's hey, what right? it is. And, and that's why I was excited, you know, to be able to engage in like and that was kind of you know exactly what we were talking about. I don't want to rush it. I don't want to be in a situation where I've got a million things going on. I'd rather it be a Wednesday afternoon. I have I've done what I needed to do today. I'm ready to engage. Um, but I think exactly like you said, it's just you want to put yourself in a position to grow and stretch. And as we continue to, you know, set goals for ourselves and try to put a, an, a plan of action in place, you have to do that. And even when I was going or looking for my graduate assistantship, I'll never forget when my uh, director of academics at the time, Kimya Massey, brought to me the Michigan State opportunity. And, you know, I'm, I'm from Georgia. I went to school at UCF. I was not a big fan of like, going somewhere in a state that didn't border Georgia. I very much wanted to stay here and just stay close to home because that's your comfort zone. And I remember him telling me, you know, if you really want to see if this industry is for you, you have to put yourself in a situation where that's all you have. And you have to decide, is this job, is this path fulfilling enough that if I don't have my friends, if I don't have my family, I can still find a way to be happy. And that comes with making new friends or meeting new people and just putting yourself out there. And then when you meet those new people, they bring to you new ideas and they see the potential that you have to be able to bring people together. I mean, even when we met out in Phoenix, your personality and your wife, I mean, everything was just like, I need to know Van. At some point, <laughs> I need to know him. We need to have a conversation. And so when you were on my list of people to connect with, it was just like, it worked out so well. And that's how you really build genuine relationships because it's just a conversation. It's not anything where you're benefiting from it or I'm benefiting from it. We're just peeling back the curtain, having a real conversation and just shedding some insight into what it looks like to try and be successful in the world of college athletics. Right. And that, you know, again, I go back to that call that I had with a young coach. Eventually we'll get started here. Right. Yes. <laughs> but, but I go back because I was talking to him and, and, and I know you've been in this position where coaches, they want to know, okay, what do I need to do? I, I want this. What do I need to do? How do I, who do I need to meet? And I said to him, man, listen, who you are is good enough. Now he's mm -hmm. at a university. I don't want to call his university name, but yeah. well, he said, I'm, I'm just at this university. It's not like it's some big time. And I said, that does not matter. I said, you, you, and guess what? There'll be some people who, who are not into you, right? Your, your vanilla ice cream, they don't like vanilla, right? They like strawberry. And so, so you, you won't appeal to some people, but there's someone out there. First of all, you got a job. You got to do that job first. Yes. Right? But when you think of advancing and growing, you do a good job where you are mm -hmm. and, and things will happen. But of course, that's the question. So, okay. All right. So let's, let's stop messing around here. Um, and, and, and so let's get serious. So 
you have a a remarkable story, right? Thank you. you and and I don't want to like cloud it up with an introduction with a bio read, but like from from former student athlete, you work at self, several universities in in, in in administration, and and now you are a senior associate at Parker. Take us through that journey. Yeah, well, you know, it depends on how much time we have, but no. Um, so to go back, um, you know, I, I come from an athletic family. I'm six one, so you know, we've we've got some height there. We've got some athleticism. However, um, not a lot of people actually went on to play college athletics in my family. So my dad played Division three football out in uh, Kansas, and his main thing was just getting out of Detroit. And so when you really started to get into the opportunities that athletics can provide to you. That was just not something I was super aware of. And then uh, the other factor was my mom went to Jackson State. So growing up, I came up in the HBCU culture. So bands, homecoming, that was my understanding of athletics. And it was interesting because even being from Lawrenceville, Georgia, which is literally 45 minutes from Athens, I mean, you're legitimately in bulldog country. But that was just never something that really came into my purview because I was just focused on other things. And so growing up in Atlanta, so to speak, um, you know, we're a major media area. And so my interest was always in broadcast journalism. And so when I was in school, I was on, you know, the morning news, the morning announcements, like that's what I was really trying to get involved with. And my mom was actually a radio and TV production major at Jackson State. So she had a background in it. And would often talk to me about what it looked like, what it entailed. But obviously, you know, she's further in her life than I am. So things had significantly changed in terms of what that actually looks like. Because when my mom was in college, she was like physically cutting film and editing it that way. Whereas now we had the technology that we didn't have to do that. And so anyway, um, so I get to high school and I have a PE coach, uh, Coach Hudson. And she was just like, Delena you are too tall to be walking around and not doing anything. And I was like, what? You know, I've dabbled in a couple of things. Like I really wanted to be a <laughs> college softball player. And, you know, down here in the SEC, softball is huge. And then I got cut from the high school team. So it was just like, well, that was my one option and it's gone. Yeah. So I don't know what else to do. And so then from there, um, you know, if it wasn't for her in terms of the beginnings of my story, um, she really took the time to expose me to a lot of different sports. And even though, I am really tall. I'm not a very physical person. So basketball was like immediately mixed out. Like, I don't want people up on me. I'm not just going up and down the court. Like, here's the ball. You can take it. Like, that's fine. We're not throwing bows. We're not doing any of that. And so, you know, as we were talking about things, she was like, well, have you ever played volleyball before? And I was like, I have not. And so um, we would have these things called free Fridays. And after you would run the mile, you could do whatever you wanted to do for the rest of the PE class. And she would actually take me up to the auxiliary gym and take me through volleyball drills. And I just kind of naturally started to pick it up. I mean, it just seemed like a sport that just naturally or innately, I just got the concept of it. So as I really started to excel in it, she was like, well, now I want you to try out for the high school team. And I was like, okay, why not? So then I go out. Uh, The girls are amazing. Everyone's super welcoming. And so you just really started to experience what the community of sports can bring to you. And it just opened up, you know, a social aspect to me that I didn't know was there. Like I'd always been social and popular, but, you know, after school was done, I was going home. Like I was not hanging with anyone or doing anything like that. So that was really helpful in terms of really bringing me out of my shell. And so 
uh, as the high school season progressed, similar to basketball, where they have the AAU component, um, in volleyball, it's called club. So that's your travel component. And when you start to get recruited by colleges, they're going to these tournaments where your clubs are playing. And yeah. so um, I had the opportunity to play at one of the top clubs here in Atlanta called A5. And again, when you talk about that potential and somebody really investing in you, club volleyball is really expensive. And I was, you know, a single mom. She was having to get me everywhere and just figure out how we were going to provide Delena with the best experience. And so money was a big part of that. And I just, I, we did not have the money to pay for what, um, you know, club volleyball really entailed, but I, I really wanted to play. And so fortunately, A5 had a program called the High Five program. And it was a scholarship where for certain players, they would either pay half or all of your membership dues. And that was, I mean, it was instrumental in terms of just that exposure and opening up doors for me. And so the way that I kind of paid them back is I was a gym rat, like outside of just the three days a week, three hour practices that we had on Sundays, I was in the gym from 12 to six every Sunday. I was just trying to soak up as much as I could, because again, I didn't start playing until I was 16. So a lot of girls that are my age are already starting to commit to colleges. So I'm starting to get interest letters. I'm starting to, you know, field requests. And I get this interest letter from UCF and I had always wanted to go to school in Florida. In fact, I wanted to go to FAMU, but I wasn't recruited by any HBCU. So I guess that was the end of my journey there. Um, but UCF was really a place where you talk about, you see a institution on the rise, their location, their programs, just as an institution, it really seemed like it was going to be a great fit for me. Now, again, not knowing anything about athletics, I don't even take a unofficial or official visit. I just go into a general campus tour. We yeah. were at, we had an AAU tournament down in Orlando and I just asked my mom like, hey, do you mind if we take this tour you know, at UCF? And so we finished the tour and I told my mom, I said, even if I don't get a scholarship here, can I still go here? And she was like, if you can find $120,000, you can go anywhere you wanna go. And yeah. so you know, we laughed and stuff. And then my coach told the coach at UCF that I had been up there for a tour. And they were like, no, you've gotta come back. You've gotta see the athletic facilities. You've gotta really take this you know, as an opportunity to really see what you can do. And so the Nicholson School Communication at UCF was amazing. And so thinking about me wanting to go into broadcast journalism, I had watched Maria Taylor play at Georgia, saw yeah. her start commentating, you know, volleyball games for the SEC. And then next thing you know, she was like on the red carpet at the ESPYs. And I was like, that's exactly the career trajectory that I want to have. So UCF just made sense in a number of ways. At the time, we were in some conference realignment where they were thinking they were going to go to the Big East. So from the kind of player I was, I thought, yeah, I can be a part of that transitional team because especially when you start moving conferences, you need players that can compete in that conference. Right. So they were really telling me about building a program essentially around me. And when you're a recruit or when you're a student athlete, there's nothing that sounds better than a coach telling you, this program is about you and we're going to build everything we can about you know, around you. So I get to UCF, everything's amazing. But then I realized going into my junior year that I'm really not wild about broadcast journalism. And so you kind of have this early midlife crisis of this is something I've wanted to do my entire life. So I'm at a place where it's opened these opportunities for me, but now I'm at a place where I'm completely lost. And yeah. so during that time, I was really um, intentional about building relationships with academic support and student athlete development, just to get an understanding of like, what these resources were designed to provide for student athletes. And so 
everyone at UCF, I mean, the staff was phenomenal. They were invested in you. They were interested in you. They wanted to develop you beyond just a student athlete, but really as a contributing member of society. And so in developing those relationships, one day I was talking to my academic advisor and I said, you know, Margaret, how do I become you? That's what I want to do. I want to become you. I want to have the same impact you've had on me. I yeah. want to come in here and talk about real life and just have someone that is not going to judge me and is just going to help me navigate college. And so from there, I ended up, you know, getting interested in graduate assistant assistantship positions in academic advising and student athlete development. So skipping ahead, I go to Michigan State. I have a phenomenal experience because the other part of it is experiencing a power five. So you've yeah. seen it at the mid-major level. And I'll never forget when Kimya told me, he said, you're going to see athletes like you've never seen before. And I was like, oh, Kimya, like athletes are the same everywhere. Like I'm, yeah. I'm not worried about it. And then I get to Michigan State and I meet this uh, guy and he's six, eight. And I'm like, oh, he must be on the basketball team. And he's like, no, I'm a defensive end. And right. I'm like, you're literally <laughs> taller than the football players at UCF. Like that, that doesn't make sense to me. And so just being in that kind of environment, and this was, you know, before, um, you know, the Nassar situation and everything came out. So 2015 was like the sweet time for Michigan State. We're going to the CFP, basketball is rolling, like it's a great environment to be in. And so that really got me interested in not only the impact that you can have, but also what the level of resources look like at that level mm -hmm. of institution. And so, you know, you do your graduate assistantship and then the job at Wisconsin opened up right as, as I was graduating. And Wisconsin was like number one for student athlete development. I mean, they had multiple people working in the office. They were divided up by teams. So you really got to engage with student athletes versus having one person for like 850 student athletes because you were really able to have those interactions and develop them and listen to them. And so I was at Wisconsin everything's going great. I'm developing programming. But then I start getting recruited for assistant director positions much earlier than what I was anticipating. So now I'm kind of at this crossroads again of, well, Delaney, you're getting into your career. We know in athletics that you have to go where the job is. And so are you ready to start moving for these jobs and for these titles? And at the time, uh, my now husband, um, AJ and I had just moved in together. So now you have an added layer of now I have to start thinking of someone else. So am I committed to this industry in the way that I feel comfortable asking someone, are you willing to stop what you're doing to follow me in my career? And whether I'm in a booming metropolis or I'm in a college town that there's nothing outside of the college, are you ready to take that journey with me? And at the time, I just, I didn't know if that was exactly the space that I wanted to fulfill my purpose in terms of how I wanted to impact and what I wanted to do. And so uh, one of the things that I'm always really cognizant of is exposing myself to other things. And we always say exposure leads to expansion and you don't know what you don't know until you put yourself in a position to do, to learn about something different. And so anyway, long story short, I ended up getting exposed to uh, search firms. I was, I was on a professional development opportunity and I had never even heard of a search firm and I'm working in athletics and I thought, how do I not know about this entire industry that is literally essential in order for you to even aspire to the top seat? And so, you know, all I heard was that they were based in Atlanta. And so one of the pieces of advice I've always gotten is that when you want to stand out during a panel, ask a really great question. And so to this day, Van, I can't tell you what the question was that I asked, but the Parker representative, I said, I'm going to direct this question to them. 
They're based yeah. in my hometown. I want to learn more about what they do. And so my question made me stand out. And after the panel, uh, the representative and I, we maybe talked for about five minutes. And I just said, you know, when I come home for winter break, I would love to come up and just kind of shadow um, what you guys do and just learn more about it. And, um, you know, of course, I go back to Wisconsin. I completely forget this conversation has ever happened. And I'm just focused on doing my job, grinding, doing a good job, focused on where your feet are planted and the right opportunity will find you. So anyway, uh, six months later, like clockwork, the person from Parker calls me and is like, hey, I was just following up to see if you're still coming home. And I'm like, wow, I didn't even know that I made that kind of impression to where somebody would follow up with me like that. And I said, no, you know, we've been hit with a huge snowstorm. I'm not going to be able to come down. And next thing you know, he's like, well, we have this position I'd like for you to apply. And I just thought, wow, like, not only am I like skipping over the shadow opportunity <laughs> you me with, a, with a job. Yeah. And so, you know, I, I talked to my mentors and as soon as I said Parker Surge, they were like, Delena, you would be crazy to not even like hear them out on what they're talking about. And so I said, okay, I mean, it's a free trip home. So I'll, I'll see what they're talking about <laughs> and just kind of go from there. And I always tell people the best position to be in is when you have a job that you already love, because then when you're assessing the opportunity, you're weighing the pros and cons, there's no factor that's clouding your decision. You're not making one out of haste or you're not making one out of impulse because you're trying to escape something. You can really assess it to make sure, is this in alignment with where I see myself going? And right. so when I came down here and I talked to everyone, it was just like the stars had aligned. Everything that they were doing matched up with where I saw myself going. But the number one factor was that Parker had actually done the athletic director searches at UCF. So the first one being with Todd Stansbury, who's now at Georgia Tech, and then the second one being with Danny White, who is now at Tennessee. So as a student athlete, I saw firsthand how leadership can transform a campus. When I was a student athlete at UCF, people wore Miami shirts, they wore UF shirts. There was not this huge fan base. I mean, yeah, we had the UCF Twitter mafia and that was, you know, just kind of jumping off, but there wasn't this overwhelming support for the institution from an athletic standpoint. But then football starts rolling. Then we beat Baylor. Then we start, you know, doing things in basketball. So your revenue generating sports are moving and then your Olympic sports are on fire. I mean, volleyball won conference, soccer's winning conference. So everything that people are seeing today was being built 2008 and on. So mm -hmm. anyway, as we're talking about the opportunity with Parker, I just thought, you know, maybe being on a specific campus is not for me, but maybe being in a position where I can have an indirect impact and help change a lot of these student athletes' lives because of the experience they're having, that just seems like a no-brainer to me. And so long story, uh, but that's essentially how I ended up here at Parker. And then, you know, my thing was that when I, when I set my mind to something, I'm going to do it to the best of my ability. And so being able to hear such incredible stories or talking to such incredible people, it was just like, they need exposure. People need to know that these individuals are out here. So how do we start to develop a pipeline, A, where we're putting people in position to be successful, but B, pu pulling back the curtain so that it seems accessible. Sometimes yeah. for certain people, you know, and, and people that look like us or women or whatever, that goal line just seems so far. And so when you don't have someone that can really break down the process, be genuine, really understand what makes you special and how you can continue to ascend, 
it's hard for people to to want to go for those kind of opportunities. And if I didn't have people that invested and saw the potential in me, I wouldn't be where I am. So my main thing is how do I pay it back or how do I pay it forward to those that are in a position similar to me that don't know what they should be doing, but because they have people that are inspiring to them, they're just trusting their word and going for it. And so that's how I ended up at Parker. And that's just my story. And I'm sticking to it, you know? Stick to that story. Stick to that story. Like I said, it, it's an amazing story. And, you know, as a former student athlete who has had the experience uh, for you to be in a position to have an influence on selecting people, right? Mm -hmm. Who can uh, play into that experience for student athletes. I think it's it's a blessing to be. Mm -hmm. to be. It is. It, I absolutely love my job. And, you know, like I said, it's just, I think in our industry right now, we need more people that understand that experience. You don't necessarily have to have been a former student athlete. I think that helps. Um, but at the same time, I think so many decisions um, are oftentimes being made, not necessarily not consulting current student athletes, because, you know, at 18, I don't know what's going on. At 21, I don't know what's going on. So I can give an opinion about something. But when you really are able to grow and mature and reflect on your experiences and understand other things that were maybe taking place at that time that you didn't realize, but you understand why decisions were made. That's what we're trying to cultivate here at Parker. And so I like our team, you know, Grant was a former football coach. He played football at Tulane. I was a former, you know, Olympic sport athlete, Taylor, um, our associate was a track and field athlete. And so each of us brings something different to the table that allows you to see things that maybe other people wouldn't. And so when you're working with these clients to help identify people that are really going to set them on the trajectory that they want, it's not just about listening to somebody's wish list, but it's also about reading between the lines. You say you need X, Y, and Z, but do you really need it or do you need something different? And here's someone that may not be the original person you thought you needed, but after having a conversation, you thought, oh my gosh, maybe that is the person that we want to talk to. And so that's what I think about in our job is you always want to have the candidates that naturally fit a position, but then you also want to make sure that you're really finding those hidden gems in terms of if you just had an opportunity, you could really shake rooms. And that's what we're trying to do, you know? Right. <clears throat> well, your job is, is to find leaders, right? It's to find the leadership qualities in, a, in an individual, uh, of course, to match it to uh, a program, a university. The question I have for you though is, who are the leaders who are the best leaders that you've been around and what are a couple things that they've that they've given you? And I know that you've been around some incredible leaders. I have. I have. Let me. OK, so let me think a little bit, because I think exactly like you talked about, leadership is an ever evolving thing. And I think what makes a really impactful leader is someone that can actually adapt their leadership style to the scenario or the situation that they're in. And so throughout different times in my life, I've been exposed to different leadership styles that allow you in a way to create your own style. That's like a blend of all of them. So the, the top leaders that really come to mind first is going to be uh, my head coach, you know, um, at UCF, Todd Dagenet, because the way that he had us focused on details. I mean, this was at a time where, you know, when you send an email, everyone has to respond okay. 
And I just used to think like, you know, emails were kind of getting popular, but I just used to think, I got the email, you, you know, I got it. I got the email, but he was like, no, you mm -hmm. have to respond to the email or just the way we had to be lined up, the way we had to present ourselves. I mean, you really started to take pride in your appearance and the way that you represented yourself when you were traveling or people saw you. And so the way that Todd was really able to get us to commit to a process without asking questions, because the other thing was, you know, I'll never forget my, it was either my sophomore or my junior year, but um, we were going through some transition on a change. We were losing a lot of leadership uh, on the team. And so our coach, Todd, was really big about not asking questions. I don't want people talking back. So everyone on the staff, from strength coaches to advisors, you could not talk back to anyone. You just had to say, okay, and move forward with it. And so some may think of that as restrictive, but what I saw it as is a submission to discipline of just, you want to make sure you're committed. You want to make sure you're disciplined where even when things get hectic, you're so disciplined and committed to your foundation that it doesn't shake you. And so that was a great introduction into what confidence looks like. So moving from there, having someone like Kimya Massey, for example, who's now at Oregon State, he was really instrumental because being my director of academics, he's known me since I was 18 and now I'm 29. So he's known me for over 10 years. And the way his leadership style is comes from powerful questioning. So I'm not going to tell you yay or nay, but I'm just going to ask you questions that get you to reflect and you to think about, is this the right decision that I need to be making and how do I move forward from here? So even when I'm recruiting people, to your point, sometimes people really want you to sell them on an opportunity. And don't get me wrong, I'm going to sell it to you. I'm going to make it make sense. But what I try to do is give you information to make an informed decision. Because when I close a search, I go back to my house. When I close a search with you, you're now inheriting all those great things and problems that may be there as a head coach. And so I want you to feel confident about the decision you've made. I never want somebody to turn around and say, Delana made me apply for this job and it's nothing what I thought it was going to be. And so I just try to ask questions of based on where you see yourself in your career, based on what this institution is communicating to me that they're looking for, do you see this as something that really aligns with you personally, professionally, financially, all of those kind of things? And then lastly, I mean, not to get brownie points, but Daniel Parker. I mean, he is a leader where oftentimes we talk about the best leaders know how to surround themselves with really strong people and play into the strengths, but also find a way to complement weaknesses that allow you to not skip a beat. And the team that we have really been able to assemble here at Parker, um, I think really differentiates us from other search firms. But more importantly, it creates an environment where you're in the trenches with one another. And when you have that kind of support of you're working with a client and maybe things aren't going the way you wanted to or it's stressing you out because they're deviating from the process, Daniel is so good about managing each of our personalities. So in all three of those leaders, I've seen leadership adapt in a way where first you're committed to a process where you don't have a say. That's an assistant coach. That's an associate AD. You're, you're, in, you're in control of your area, but you're not the final decision maker. So you have to learn how to work within a system. Then you get to a leadership style where you, you start to be more reflective. My uh, boss at Michigan State, Jim Pignatero, who passed away, the first thing he told me is the most effective person is the most reflective person. 
But until you're at a point in your life where you can really mature and grow to a point where you're able to take yourself outside of the situation and replay it back in your mind and think, how could I have done this differently? That's where powerful questioning comes into play because now you're not limiting yourself to a process like that first leadership style, but now I'm really starting to dive into what's the best environment for me to be in, for me to be successful. And then lastly, you go to Daniel, where you're learning how to manage people around you. And as you continue to ascend in your trajectory, that's where you get to. And AD is not in the weeds. They're not running a department. They're managing a department. A head coach is not running the team. They're managing the team. They're hiring an OC. They're hiring a DC. They're hiring coordinators and quality control people and support staff that are going to allow them to focus on the high level things and you take care of the weeds. So each of those leadership styles have just shown me a way that you can be effective, but you don't have to be rigid. You can adapt to people. You can find a way to be successful. Now, I'm not perfect. I have my days where I'm like, ooh, that was not a great leadership moment. But if you're willing to be vulnerable and put yourself out there, you can always find a way to get better. And that's what leadership is, is how do we get better from what we're doing currently? Now, I said that, that this podcast is continually not just for people outside this podcast, right? Inside this podcast, there's growth and learning going on as well. Yes, yeah. <laughs> because, you know, as I listen to you, I've heard these things before. Um, uh, Sean Frazier, he talked yeah. about, he talked about the leader being vulnerable. Um, and, and Kevin Anderson talked about the leader mm -hmm. being vulnerable, talked about the fact that the leader has to be willing to to open up right the leader is not a kiss my ring situation yes uh, the leader has to care about the people he is or she is working with you have to care right very important those are the things that i that i heard uh, first you talked about the leader has to be willing and committed to transforming people right not, not to what he wants them to be, but to what they, to their best, right? Whatever their best is and not allowing them to, to do anything less than that. Okay, anyway, we, we gotta keep moving, right? We gotta keep moving. Um, so so the, next, the next question that I have for you is about how you do your job, right? You are responsible for, in these searches, the universities, the programs, they give you the opportunity to to go out and find their next leaders. Mm -hmm. Look, as you look for those people, I'll just consider you, you know, you're the AD, you're the president. What are the characteristics that you look for in in these people? Right? What are you looking for as you search for the next leader for XYZ basketball program? Mm -hmm. Well, you know, I, I think that's a that's a it's an interesting question because every institution is different. And you think about, you know, if I'm recruiting a player to K-State, they're looking for an experience that K-State can provide them. But if I'm, you know, well, that's not a good example. I'll just give you this. So AJ played football at Wisconsin. I played volleyball at UCF. And even though I've worked at different institutions, people would always ask me, well, could you see yourself playing here? Would you have liked to play here? No. And it's not anything about the institution, but that's not the experience I personally wanted, but that was the experience AJ wanted. And so when you go back to these characteristics that an AD or a president is looking for, in my opinion, 
it really comes down to the impact and influence that person wants to have. And oftentimes what we think about is that as a candidate, I just want to communicate how great of a candidate I am and not in a um, you know, um, self-promoting kind of way, not in anything negative, but I really want to be able to articulate why I'm the best fit for this job and what has prepared me to tell you that I can really take this on. But what people are really looking for is why do you want to be at this specific institution? So going back to my example about the experience, why did I choose UCF? I chose UCF because they had a great communications program. They had a program volleyball wise that was on the rise and they were an athletic department where I really felt like was a sleeping giant. And if we just had the right people in place, it was a juggernaut in the making. When you ask AJ why he went to Wisconsin, it was the relationship he had with his coaches, the, uh, the way he thought he could grow as an athlete or things of that nature. Sometimes it's not as academically driven as my decision was. Now that's not here or there, but when you're thinking about leadership and the characteristics that I'm looking for, do you really understand our institution? Do you understand our values? Do you understand our mission? And how are you going to relay that in the work that you do? What is the staff that you're going to assemble? What are the initiatives that you're going to make a focal point in terms of what we're driving towards? Uh, Randell Richmond, who is now at Kent State, uh, I've known him for quite some time and seeing him get that position and the way that he's transforming that institution, my cousin plays volleyball there. So I was able to get her perspective from the prior AD to now what the department looks like. And it wasn't necessarily that they you know, needed to go in a different direction, but there were things that the department needed that Randell was going to be able to help them provide because of his background and because of the impact and influence he was going to be able to have there. So when you're thinking about what are the characteristics, yes, skill set matters, experience matters, exposure to different levels of things matters. But at the end of the day, how you differentiate yourself from other candidates in the pool is the impact and influence you want to have and how you articulate that and then how you execute upon it. Because a lot of people talk about vision, but you have to actually execute upon that vision. So oftentimes another boss of mine, Angela Monte, when I was at Michigan State, told me there's a lot of A to Z people. There's not a lot of B to Y. So when we focus on the execution and what we actually have to do, it's great if you tell me in theory that works, but if I'm an athlete and I'm like, but naturally my body doesn't turn that way. So how are we going to make this movement work? I get what you're saying in theory of where I need to be, but how do I get there? And that's what I think now where you're seeing the industry shift is that people are looking for those that can actually execute, not just talk about it and get people excited. They need people that are really about action. Right, right. So I have two more questions. And, and the first question is, so you, when you got out on the volleyball court, right? When they blew the whistle and, and that thing was rolling, I know, even though you don't like to get physical in the paint in basketball, I know you, you can be very competitive, right? Oh, so of course. You, you remember game days, right? Well, now, as you think about what you do today, what is your game day? What is, what is game day for you? Okay, that's a good question. That's a good question. So every game day starts with the prep. Like, what music are you listening to? How do you get in the zone for the game? And so if you know the geography of Atlanta, I actually live out in the suburbs. I live in Tequila, which is up in Gwinnett County. And Daniel always teases me because it's about an hour from the office. But the reason why I live far out is because, A, I love driving. Commute time is great. Nobody likes sitting in traffic. But I love listening to music. I love listening to podcasts, interviews, 
So in the morning, my routine is I try to find, you know, not an interview, 20 minutes, 30 minutes, you know, my commute is about 40, 45 minutes or an hour sometimes. Um, and so, you know, starting off the morning with hearing somebody's perspective, it doesn't necessarily have to be athletic related. It could be anything that I stumbled across. So that's my preparation. How am I mentally preparing for the day? So after I've gone to the gym, which that is somewhat consistent, I'm getting better at it. But after I've gone to the gym, then I've got, you know, my podcast, my interview set up, whatever I'm listening to. Once that's over, I kind of reflect on it. And then I just kind of play some music. And then that way, when I come into the office, I'm ready to roll. Because like you said, that's your warm up. So when you get on the court in volleyball, you have about 45 minutes to warm up, sometimes 30, depending upon, you know, how the system is set up. And that's your time to warm up. So you've got to, when you walk on that court or that whistle blows, it's no, oh, wait a minute, I'm still stretching. You got to be ready to go. So when I walk in that door, I don't know what's going to happen that day. Yeah, I have, you know, an idea of where my searches are and things of that nature, but we may get a new search or there may be an issue with a search. I've had a candidate withdraw or something is going on where, you know, we've got to troubleshoot. So if you're not mentally ready to come into the office that day, it can really throw you off and it can, it can make you feel like you're off, like you're just not there. And so then the actual game day itself, when the game starts going, is when we're on these meetings or when I'm on the phone recruiting, because the other thing I really try to be attentive to is the candidate experience. And I've talked to a lot of people where they've been reached out to by a recruiter and the opportunity really doesn't make sense. And then they start to think, well, am I even a legitimate candidate? Am I a box checker? Like, why are you reaching out to me in this position? Does it make sense? So again, you've got to be warmed up, ready to go, that when you get on that phone with that person, you've read their bio, you know at least a little bit about them to where you are making it make sense as to why you're reaching out to them about this position. So whether it's having a conversation with a client, recruiting a candidate, doing a listening session with a student athlete or a donor or you know someone from campus, you've gotta be engaged and ready to go and listening to that person and reflecting upon what they're saying so that's kind of what my game day looks like. And then if you get a win, that's a search closing and that's a happy client. Uh, a loss is a search not closing and having to redo a search. Right. We take very few L's in that regard, but that's kind of what the game day experience looks like. And then you have your wind down. So when you're getting in the cold tub or when you're getting in the shower, <laughs> that's my time to just decompress. I do a lot of my phone calls on the way home. And that's like, you know, let's say that you've crossed my mind that day. I'm just going to call you. I'm at the place in my career where I no longer feel like I have to schedule calls. I'm building enough relationships where if I call someone, I'm like, hey, you just came across my mind. Just want to chop it up with you real quick. You know, oh, I'm pulling into the driveway. Have a great day. Like, that's kind of what the entire game day experience looks like for me. All right. Big time. Big time. Well, if you ever call me, I got two phones and we can always chop it up. But you're not going to be on with me for two or three minutes. I talk too much. Well, I know, because I know how we were in Phoenix. You wouldn't even let me go to the bathroom. So I know I'm going to be on the yeah, phone right. with you. <laughs> so my, my last question is, and, and this is a difficult question. So, so normally it's a difficult question for the person I'm asking, but this is a difficult one for me. So I got to readjust it, right? Okay. Because, because we've had more seasoned, I like to use that term. We've had a lot more seasoned guests as one of those podcast terms, Um and, and here you are at age 29. Wow, I mean, don't have young people like you on here. Um, but you talked about growing up, right? You talked about how you grew up. Well, if you could look back on your life and you look at that little young Delana Jordan, right? What would you tell 
what would you tell the younger version of yourself that you know now, right? About, about how you should operate, about what your mindset should be, about how things will work out for you. What would you tell that young lady? Her name was different, but what would you tell, tell that young lady uh, if you could? I think that I'm trying to think of things that I actually learned as I was growing up. And I think that, and actually, you know what? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give tribute to the love of my life, AJ, because he really helped me with this. Uh, but it was really learning to relax and you can only control the controllables. And, you know, with my energy, with my passion, I'm a very high, strong person and I'm almost obsessive compulsive to an extent where these things have to be executed correctly. And if you want the process to work the way it should, you've got to stick to the process. That was the leadership lesson I learned first, right? From my coach stick to the process, have faith, trust in the process, and then you'll get there. But sometimes you want to execute at such a high level that you become blind to other things that matter. And right. so when you're single and you're moving from Florida to Michigan and then Wisconsin, you're not thinking about who else matters or, you know, my family misses me. I never thought about that for one second. Like, when I took the job at Parker, I never even realized I had been gone for 10 years. And the only time my parents would see me is on winter break or summer break. And just thinking about, you got to stop and, and have time for yourself. And so, you know, there would be times where AJ would say, Delena, if you write this email at midnight, is it going to make a difference if the person doesn't see it until 8 a.m.? And I was just like... No, it actually doesn't make a difference. So you're right. Some things I got to push myself on. And that's the thing. You still have to have endurance. This is athletics. So there's never going to be a nine to five type of mentality. You still got to push yourself. You got to grind. You got to do what you got to do. But you can't let it take over who you are. And so even when I'm talking to candidates or I'm talking to coaches and I say, tell me about who you are. A person that just regurgitates their resume is not necessarily a red flag. But to me, it's like, I need a little bit more because your identity can't be solely wrapped up in what you do, that you miss opportunities to engage in people. Because if your identity is solely in what you do, you come off as disingenuine. You come off as someone that's only trying to connect to get to that next point. But when you take time to slow down, control what you can control, and just let things flow, you're able to get to such deeper levels with people. And that's what this industry is about. You can't learn about someone after a 30 minute phone call. You can't learn about someone after you met them at a professional development opportunity. You've got to continue to learn about that person, whatever they want to share. I don't need to know your whole life. I, just whatever you feel comfortable sharing. But I think that's the piece of advice that I would give because even as a student athlete, I mean, I was grinding hard. You're a, you're a middle blocker. That's a support position, but you're trying to shine. And so yeah. even when I, you know, was awarded player of the year, that was such a big deal because middle blockers don't get that. They're support positions. So you've supported this team so well that other coaches in the league have such respect for your game that they, they feel like the team wouldn't even be the same if you weren't there. But at that same time, you still have to retain that humility. You still have to be someone that's like, but I'm not the star of this team. This is not a one person team. So if I focus on controlling what I can control, that's going to make me such a better partner. That's going to make me such a better colleague, such a better teammate. 
And so when you're able to really slow down on things, that would be the advice that I give to myself because sometimes I would push myself so hard that I would miss opportunities to really engage with people. And now that I'm kind of getting my sea legs under me, I understand the business. I understand what my purpose is and how I want to fulfill it. I'm able to engage with people in a way where they appreciate it. And when you get off the phone with someone and they're so appreciative that you even took the time to talk to them, it's just the most fulfilling thing in the world because you know that you made a difference in that person's life because you took time to acknowledge them. And so often people just want to be acknowledged. They just want to feel like somebody sees them and they're willing to listen to their story. And so I I drew that answer out, but that's what it is of just controlling the controllables and, and being somewhere, planning your feet and just figuring out what exactly is going to allow us to grow. And if you focus on things you can control, it puts you in a better position where you're not stressed, you're not making decisions out of angst or impulse. You're really able to think things through and say, yeah, this is where I want to be.